This week's Acquirers podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Validia. Validia runs quantitative stock selection models using strategies based on academic papers and books with long-term track records of success. You may recognize Validia since two of its founders, Jack Forehand and Justin Carboneau, both good friends of mine, have appeared as guests on the podcast. With value stocks showing signs of turning around, Validia offers more than 10 systematic value models backed by long-term research, including strategies based on Joseph Piotrowski's F-score, Ben Graham's defensive investor from The Intelligent Investor, Joel Greenblatt's Magic Formula, The Value Composite from Jim O'Shaughnessy's What Works on Wall Street, and many others. Investors can access these strategies through concentrated 10 and 20 stock model portfolios or see how stocks rank based on each model's specific investment criteria. Through the end of March, Validia is offering 33% off an annual subscription to both its standard and professional product listeners of the Acquirers podcast. To find out more about Validia or to take a free trial, you can go to validia.com forward slash Toby. Again, that's V-A-L-I-D-E-A.com forward slash Toby. Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. G'day, amigos. It is value after hours, 10.30 a.m. Now it's daylight saving time on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. East Coast, which means that, and I got the dates, the times right, I think, it's 5.30 p.m. UTC, it's 5.30 a.m., Australian Eastern Standard Time. So I guess there might be many Aussies on this one. How are you doing, fellas? Good I'm to be well. Here. I'm joined as always by quite strong. Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster. Uh, if you'd like to listen to this live, you can just go to the Acquirers Podcast YouTube channel, hit the notifications and it'll let you know when it goes live. There's like 7,500 people signed up and we're getting a few hundred uh, now on the podcast, which is up a lot from the uh, the ten or so that we started out with. <laughs> it's not so bad. There used to be more hosts than listeners. Yeah, <laughs> for a while, for almost a year and a half, but then we exploded higher. Now it's exponential. That's right. Ian's got the bots working. Uh, wild times in the markets. Oh, here we go. An Aussie from a place I can't pronounce in Hungary. <laughs> What's going on in the markets? Well, some unusual things. Small, cheap junk is having a bit of a moment. Although maybe it's shifting back to tech again today. Who knows? It's it's uh, we're on a knife edge all the time here. <laughs> but there's been a lot yeah, of junk. Sorry, JT, cut you off. I uh, was just saying, you're probably better off not trying to watch it too closely all the oh, time yeah. with this chop. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've taken to only looking after the close. Yeah, I don't know. I just know that apparently Altria is a meme stock, which is sweet. Let's get it going, Wall Street Bets. Do your thing. <laughs> Dude, Wall Street Bets. So I, just, I sent you guys this morning, but that the Wall Street mod Twitter account has like 850,000 followers. I was stunned. It's exploded. So it is kind of funny and entertaining to follow until it ends in tears if it does. It's been amazing. As are most things. (laughs) Coke binges are fun while they last, (laughs) and then you die. (laughs) That's been the, uh, the policy of the Federal Reserve, hasn't it? That's how we've kept the party going so long. I don't know. I think I think that, that policy did a damn good job through all this. If you had said that we were going to stop the world and we were going to come out and have life be pretty normal on the other side, I'd have told you that you were out of your mind. And I would definitely take this over mass default and layoffs and coming out of this into depression. Fuck that. You don't think that's what we've got anyway? Like, isn't that happening under the... No. That's just that's what's happening to everybody on Main Street. Wall Street's having a party. Yeah. Main Street's, like, getting kicked One out. One percenter. 
I mean, look, I'm I'm not like my mom struggles. I'm not some one percenter that doesn't understand that people struggle. Like I get it. I'm telling you right now, she sells real estate. She's generating commissions because people can pay for homes. Like I don't want a scenario where everybody is defaulting on their loan and we have mass implosion. Like I think that that's a crazy thing to advocate for. So I think they did a good job. Now, are there going to be negative consequences? Yeah, but we fucking shut down the world. Of course, there's going to be pain eventually for the market. And, you know, hopefully the wealth effect can start to get this, uh, you know, we can get this thing going again here pretty soon. Personal savings rates are, are at high levels. Now, how much of that is in the wealthy's pocket? That's a problem. Uh, so, you know, you got to figure out a way to fix that. But, like, to advocate for just shutting it down, I, I think that's a nonsense argument. Didn't we shut down, though? Wasn't that the issue? <laughs> we shut everything down? No, but we got people through. I mean, like, like, okay, so let's talk about the people that bitch about airlines. So what we really wanted... Well, hang on, let me tell you what my topic of- is today. Oh. <laughs> okay. My topic is airlines. Okay, yeah. now go. <laughs> So, so like, people really wanted the airlines to just not get any help, right? All those union jobs, just fire them all, fuck them, right? All the pilots, release them. Let's cut it down to bare bones. Let's wipe the equity out. Let's restructure the debt. Let's do it to every single industry. I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll, like, reset to this utopia where people act, like, you know, responsibly. That's insane to me. Yeah, if you shut it down, then you got to bail it out. But the, the, you don't have to shut it down in the first instance. Well, I mean, in retrospect, you're correct. But I think that at the time, given what we knew, that was, you know, the decision that they made. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. We live in that, a society, and That's, that's man. why some of us are complaining. Yeah, but, that, but the issue, I guess that the issue that I have with some of the complaints about what's going on is, like, you can either update your assumptions based on the way the cards have come out or you can bitch about the cards that came out i just you can't change the cards like the they've been dealt so you have to change you i think somebody's dealing from the bottom of the pack like if we're going to use this if we're going to use this analogy my issue is not the cards that are being dealt it's the way the cards are dealt yeah i mean i i just think that like as a human we have to adapt right so I mean, I just, I don't understand the no idea question. of, Adapt like, or die. What do, you, what do you say to the moral hazard argument about that? I say that I own Malone Entity's dog, and these covenants don't exist, so give me that money. Now, let's, I'm keeping it on the airlines. Like, you know the behavior that, that preceded. What did they do? Levered up, bought Oh, back, get the fuck out of here, dude. Didn't get, Delta didn't prepare was for a rainy grade. day at all. You are out of your mind. Delta was investment grade. Alaska was investment grade. American Airlines, I have always shit on. The ULCCs run a, uh, an operating lease strategy. If you want, I mean, look, if we want to live in a world where the government runs the airlines and they can't have any capital from private entities, then yeah, let's make them carry five years of OPEX of cash on the balance sheet. And, you know, while we're at it, we'll pay the CEOs 150 grand and uh, we can all just ride around in a flying bus. That'll be great. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? Have you flown? No, yes, it's a fantastic experience. It's segmented. You can choose where you want to sit and pay where you want. If you want TSA, you can upgrade for that. If you don't, you get in the fucking back of the bus. Like, it is capitalism. It's tough for the big fellas riding in the back of the bus, mate. Can't get those knees behind those uh, those seats. Well, then you might have to pay a little bit more for the extended legroom, but you have that choice. Right? Like, back in the day when everything was like a limo, the airlines sucked as businesses. Now they were like moderately decent businesses. I agree they didn't plan on shutting down the entire fleet for six months, but like... I don't know. I think Scott Galloway's out of his fucking mind when he talks about this. I think nothing What's could he be say? further from the truth. He goes into this whole like crony, buyback crony thing. Capitalism yeah. I, I just don't buy it. I think it's a nice thing to say, but I don't think it's actually adapting to the facts as they were. Well, let's, this, is, this is sort of my topic. So let's, let's jump into what I was going to talk about. I saw a tweet today that said that Jets, which is the 
ETF of all of the airlines is flying. Everybody loves a good pun on a headline like that, right? So I, I jumped in and had a quick look at Jets. It's done really well. It's like it's almost back to where it was pre-pandemic, which is kind of, you know, amazing. Um, markets are forward-looking discounting mechanism, of course. But the the thing about airlines is that they do carry a bit of debt. So I looked at the uh, the EVs. So I pulled up the enterprise values, which includes the debt, you know, for folks who aren't all in the weeds here, the enterprise value is market cap plus the debt, back out the cash. Airlines have also got liabilities on their planes, but that's not in, that's not included here. This is just the, the EV of the holding company. So uh, Delta is basically, its enterprise value is the same as it was at its absolute peak. Uh, United is at its absolute peak. Uh, Southwest is about 85% of its peak, American's 85% of its peak, and Alaska Air is about 66 but it had this spike, this weird spike. So then I, you can't look at the EBIT of these companies because they don't have any at the moment. So I had to go through and have a look at REVs, so EV REVs for all of these companies. Long-run average for EV REVs across these companies is less than one. So that means that they, they sell about as much of their enterprise value every year. Um, so on a multiple of they're currently they're currently on these multiples. Delta's on a three. It's three point three times revs. United is four times revs. Southwest is two point six. Woo! No idea what happened then. There he is. <laughs> what? Wow. Your your uh, your uh, your uh, audio's off. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's on, but it uh, sounds like you're in a submarine. Let me let me fix it. Oh, I think I hear us on YouTube. Here we go. Check check check. There you go. All right, we're back. Are we live still? I think so. This yep, is live video. We're back. This is a quality, quality a, podcast. It's very high quality. Everybody can hear us. The computer shut down. It logged me out of uh, Skype, which was super helpful. <laughs> I've been back here trying to remember my Skype password. <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, who would know what that is? Anyway, sorry, amigos, we're back. So, uh, I th- did everybody get the uh, everybody got my the, the terrible airline stats? Let's uh, let's yeah, shift to right. uh, somebody else's topic here. Sorry, fellas. I think we were talking about moral hazard. Mm. Well, that's a good one. Who wants to take and that I'm, one? Bill's pro. I'm anti. <laughs> No, I just I just think that uh, saying like I, I just think that saying that like we shouldn't have bailed people out is a, a much easier thing to say in some like uh, classroom or a theoretical standpoint than reality. And I, I mean, I just think that the idea that um, that like we should have we should not have come to the rescue of asset intensive industries and pushed away investment forever. I mean, maybe not forever, but like, you know, I, I just don't, I don't buy it. Uh, I fundamentally don't. Now, do I think that there are negative consequences with that? Yeah. But like, I don't think that running, I don't think that if you looked at Delta's, um, balance sheet going into all this, a rational person would say that like that was Without an being objective. reckless. Yeah. Like they just weren't, I mean, it was an investment grade balance sheet. It's like looking at somebody that has 40% loan to value on their house and saying that they're out of their minds. Like, no, that's just the way it runs. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. <clears throat> Is that the government's job to step in? Yes. To, to keep society going and to protect the system that we all live within and to keep the fabrics that we all have had like an underlying assumption together. Yeah, I think that's exactly government's job. Let me also ask you this. Uh, 
a a reset in that industry does not make the planes disappear. It's just the ownership of who owns the planes and is operating them may may change. Who's going to go buy the equity after? Like, how do you finance new airplanes? And do you think that society is better off now than it was 30 years ago? I guarantee there's a price somewhere that would be there'd be happy equity buyers of airlines. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. You're not going to get that price because government actually steps in. I mean, you're <laughs> not going to get point. OK, but that's not. But I think my point to you is that you're trying to make the world as you want the world to be. And what I'm saying is that's not the world we live in. I guess I'm I would prefer the world to look more like nature looks like where uh, problems, systemic problems get cleared more regularly. And instead, we kind of sweep them all into a pile and then kick the can down the road. And I don't know if your system actually solves the problem in the long term and maybe doesn't create bigger problems down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree that. Uh, if there was a way to have shut down the country and not had mass defaults and not have every asset intensive industry going into bankruptcy court at the same time and having creditors own all the equity, like maybe that would be better. You know, I, it's just not going to happen. So I don't even understand the point in bitching about it anymore. Like it's, I guess that, um, it seems to me that I've now seen 09 and 2020 happen and both times sort of like libertarian Austrian Ron Paul people, which of which I was one not that long ago, have sort of like complained that the world is not as they think it should be. But I guess my comment back is like, well, then maybe the world isn't like you think it should be. So you either are going to continue to yell into the air or sort of update your priors. Because I don't think that the world's going to change to what we want it to theoretically be. I think we got to live in the world we have. I agree with that. I think it's, um, it's a something I struggle with, which is, am I, is the world different? Like, is the world different than how I think it is? Or have we not looked at a long enough timeline? And I go back and forth on those. Um, and they're, they kind of give you different answers. Yeah. I mean, like I, you know, I get the, well, equity should just be wiped out thing. Um, I mean, I do understand that argument, but I just don't think that, I mean, okay. If, if you really think that all that's going to happen is equity is going to get wiped out and the world's just going to continue and you don't think that that leads to deflationary bust. Like if you really think that at the moment that the world has stopped, that it's okay to send almost every asset intensive industry into bankruptcy court and you think we're going to get through that, then like maybe I just don't understand path dependency like you do. But and I'm not saying you, I'm just saying like uh, the collective you. Uh, I, I just think that you're introducing a massive, massive deflationary bust risk into a system that didn't need it. And the path we went down has negative consequences. But like once there is a global pandemic, there are going to be negative consequences. So I view government's job as to mitigate those consequences. And I think that uh, to a large extent they did it. And then I think that it became political and people lost their fucking minds. I would probably agree with you more if during the good times we ran surpluses and and prepared for the bad times as a collective, but we haven't done that at all. Like we've, it's always been pedal to the metal at least for the last twelve years. Uh, yeah. And I, so it doesn't. I don't know. It makes it a little bit weaker that like the argument that we're doing this for the greater good. Well, that's a separate issue, though. I'm talking about 2020. I bitched a lot about the tax cuts and blowing out the deficit 10 years into freaking, uh, you know, recovery. Expansion. Or, or, yeah, like seven to 10 years. I think that was asinine. And the idea that, uh, you know, now Republicans are going to complain about deficit spending. Like, yeah, they, I mean, Jesus. they lost. Yeah, they lost the moral high ground on that. So, 
Um, we definitely agree that the problem with Keynesian economics as implemented is Keynes always thought that you should pull back when times are good, right? And it's like, we just do stimmy, stimmy, stimmy. But I, I don't think that in 2020 is the time to take the stand. Like, that's where I just sort of disagree. Yeah, but there's never going to be a convenient time for austerity. Okay, that's fine, but... 2016 is a more convenient time than 2020. And yeah. hopefully, you know, 2024 is more convenient than now. I just don't think today is the day to get austere. I think that that doesn't make sense. It like it's almost reminds me of changing the uh people on Robin Hood's ability to pump GameStop in the middle of the game. Like mm. you don't change the rules in the middle of the game. It's it's not sportsmanlike. I mean, would, wouldn't, wouldn't their argument be that they were trying to protect them? Uh, no, I think that they were. Yeah, I guess if you. Yeah, I guess in that instance, they had to stop it so that Robin Hood didn't collapse and that didn't collapse everything. I guess that would be the argument. But they were also trying to protect the smaller investors in there, right? Like the thing had mushroomed and there's no once those things go parabolic, there's no, you know, it got to whatever it got to 15 billion or, or more than that. And then. You know, what if it gets to like a hundred billion, or if it gets to it like? There's... Oh, I don't, I don't think they cared about that at all. One I of those things almost cared... got to a trillion. Like that's that's sucked a lot of people in that one. <laughs> yeah, well, still is. Uh, I I um, I don't think that's at all what they were trying to do. I think that they were trying to make sure that uh, when you carve up shares and issue fractional shares and have all kinds of derivative contracts, you want to protect counterparty risk. And they were like on the brink of having. Uh, regulatory problems because they were undercapitalized. Yeah, I don't know. That's crazy. Well, you can't. I mean, that's my understanding. At that. Yeah, we should be able to throw confetti, right, and push notifications. Imagine trading Robinhood or, or GameStop on Robinhood and getting a notification every time that the stock moved up more than five percent. Your phone would have just lit up like all day long. Lots Continues of dopamine to go up. Would have felt good. Oh yeah. Yeah, I guess until it didn't. Bizarre world. It's happening to Volkswagen today. Again? Really? I, yeah, I guess again, I, huh? Yeah, I saw when uh, it was up like twenty three percent pre market. Oof. They're coming <laughs> up with some EVs. I, well, this is where yeah. I think this Mike Green argument might have legs. Like, I, what the hell is going on with this many stocks ripping this much? Because is there not enough liquidity in the market? There's no. There's no, uh, there's no moral, there's no downside. There's no moral hazard. I don't think that's it, man. Because I, I, I think uh, you don't think I that don't people think... aren't in this market because they saw that 2020 March pandemic got truncated, and we've bounced back to all-time highs. You don't think that's why don't people think that's feel like But that's no, why I don't. But think... I'm not talking about it. like every specific instance is going to have its own set of you know uh, uh, factors. But, but you know, when you see it in Bitcoin, you see it in Tesla, you see it in marijuana stocks, you see it in GameStop. Like, it's just across everything. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, it's to the point where it's kind of, it's becoming systemic, right? Yeah. I mean, um, yes, I agree that there is a lot of punting going on right now. And when do you see that? Is that typically like, what inning do you typically see a lot of that? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Probably the inning that everybody's locked at home and can day trade anything on their phone and get stimmy checks. Like, that's, I'm not sure that inning. that's an inning issue. Yeah, I, I don't know that we've ever seen this. So you think that all goes away when we get back to work? I have no idea. I, I don't know what's going on, man. I think people are basically back to work at the moment, aren't they? Like, if you're working from... Everybody's on Zoom all day long. Those people are already working. I don't think there's a lot of people who got laid off who are back. Yeah. I mean, some are, but not. We're still well, well below like 2019 employment figures, right? Yeah, well and truly. Do you guys? Do you guys have a topic? Do you want to? Do you want to do your topic before we run out of time? Yeah, I got a. I have a veggie segment I prepared on. Uh, so you know, last week we talked about, you know, to get the thickest branch that you can you need a lot of keep it moist and uh this time, <laughs> i should this show time, everybody uh, i got i got on the uh 
inspired by Jake's uh, thing last week, I got myself a go. kit to make myself a bonsai. So it comes with all the bits and pieces. It was 25 bucks to deliver the next day from Amazon. How magic's that? Terrific. Is that an affiliate link you can put? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this week, uh, we're going to be talking about testosterone and investing. <clears throat> and this is a good good on the back of talking about punting. Right. That's why That's I waited segue. until it was the and perfect timing. Dopamine. And dopamine. So uh, some of this comes from this book called The Weirdest People in the World uh, by Joseph Henrik. Uh, pretty interesting book in that it talks about, and by the way, weird in this context is actually an acronym for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. And what's what's cool about this book is that it it points out this sort of like uh, blind spot that I think a lot of us have if you've read much psychology research in that a lot of that research is conducted on university campuses in Western world. And there's some things about that that may not be a very representative of most of humanity, especially if you look through a lot of time periods. Um, we're, we're might be sort of a weird group to examine and then therefore to extrapolate that out into all of humanity, it, it might be a mistake. Interesting. So in this, uh, so in this specific context, talking about testosterone, we're going to start with birds and then shift to humanity. And so, you know, testosterone is related to mating and courtship in birds and humans. But, um, what it does is the bird, the birds will, the male birds will ramp up their testosterone before mating season and they'll become much more territorial. They'll fight with other male birds. Uh, they will do these like, you know, courtship dances and things like that. And it's all testosterone fueled. And what's interesting is to use birds as sort of our analog is that they have, uh, many bird species form pair bonds during mating season, just like humans in a monogamous way. And so they'll, uh, you know, and a lot of the, the male birds will help with nest preparation and feeding the, the, uh, bird, the baby birds once they're born, like they make a, per, uh, they make a paternal investment. So, uh, studying sparrows, the males will ramp up their teas, their testosterone levels during mating season, and then it will drop after mating season. And, uh, but in, when they look at other birds, uh, like specifically the red winged blackbird, which is a polygynous species. So it's like the males look for as many females as they can in that situation. And they will, after mating, like they keep looking and competing for more mates and their testosterone levels don't drop. Um, so what's interesting then is if we bring that to humans, uh, it's actually the same. And so in our weird, um, world that's monogamous societies, we, after you get married and ha your testosterone levels will drop. And then after you have kids, your testosterone levels will drop. Keep the kids safe. So you get, well, it is, it's, it's a, it's a parental investment, um, Interestingly enough, if you get divorced, the testosterone levels ramp back up. Um, so it's kind of, but in, in polygynous human societies, the, the male's testosterone level doesn't drop. Um, huh. even, so there, there's a competition to it. Um, and they, they looked at inhabitants of the Lamu Island of Kenya, where about a quarter of the males will take a second wife and their T levels stay elevated. Um, so this book kind of goes into some really interesting things on uh, that I don't want to get into, but it uh, where like actually like the church and its use of like monogamy, um, like precepts will was sort of a like control device to keep, uh, you know, men a little bit more docile potentially. <laughs> anyway, Bill, you look like you had something witty to say. I did. And then I thought better of it. So I'm okay. just going to keep it in. <laughs> so so testosterone is typically thought of as making you more aggressive, but that's not quite right. Uh, what actually it does is it makes you increase your want to climb the social ladder um, and, and outcompete. So that can show up as, you know, it fuels competitive motivation, which can show up as aggression, but not necessarily. Uh, it also suppresses fear, heightens sensitivity to rewards engenders zero-sum thinking and makes you less trustful um and it's it's 
hypothesize that that testosterone suppresses the connection between your prefrontal cortex and your amygdala. So it's sort of like your rational part of your brain and then sort of the fear part of your brain and breaking those the connection of those two interacting um, changes some behaviors. So um, what else is kind of interesting with respect to that is that suppressing testosterone within a monogamous marriage the way that it does actually promotes greater self-regulation and self-discipline, which is kind of interesting. Um, now, so there was a study that was done on to get this back to sort of finance that uh, the what the, like so they looked at hedge fund. They looked at 3000 hedge funds and they looked at there's apparently you can correlate the wideness of the face of a male with the amount of testosterone and the the wider the face, the greater the testosterone. So they did these measurements of like 3000 hedge fund managers and then looked at alpha and like, how did they do? And it turns out that the higher the testosterone, uh, the more frequently that that hedge fund traded, the more they preferred lottery like stock outcomes uh, and the more reluctant they were to sell losers. Um, so you had all this kind of like risk seeking behavior with the higher testosterone levels. Uh, and, and also they found in another 2015 study that when they administered testosterone gel, uh, it actually increased the optimism about future prices that, that they would expect in these kind of simulated markets. Um, interesting enough that, that cortisol also has similar deleterious effects where, uh, for alpha and it's mostly probably like stress related, right? Like cortisol is the stress hormone. So if you're really stressed out, you make suboptimal decisions. Um, one of the thing about testosterone, I was thinking about the, uh, you know, with China in their one child policy in 2009, they have, they had roughly 30 million kind of surplus men. Uh, like they had two because the, the Chinese wanted boys more than girls. Like there was a lot of, um, you know, there were, they would abort female, uh, fetuses. They would, you know, it, they send them out for adoption like it was about they wanted to have males to keep the line going right so they ended up with a lot more males in this this time period where they were running the one child policy um, and what's interesting is that they it was imposed in different provinces at different times so they could see then that like there was a wave of you know more males in this area versus another area within china yeah. and so they could do studies to see and like crime rates went up in those areas at the same rate as the imposition of the, you know, 20 years after the, where that the, it was imposed, the one child policy crime rates went up in that particular precinct or uh, that particular province. Um, so kind of an interesting uh, how society has harnessed like our endocrine systems in a lot of ways through different, um, different mechanisms. So Anyway, I'm not sure of all of the takeaways for for being an investor, but maybe I don't know if you're if you're looking for someone else to manage your money, you might actually not want the most like strappingly looking male <laughs> alpha male like that is probably going to lead to suboptimal results potentially. I don't know. I got I got to comment on the screen value guys are low T. That's bad news. All, <laughs> value is is all beta. <laughs> I mean, the way we're trading at the moment, that would be true. Well, I think, uh, I mean, there's there's a number of studies that I think have showed that women are better investors. Better traders, right? yeah. 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 I mean, I, yeah, I think Jen Ross had mentioned to me that uh, she thought that men were like way too tied to being correct, right? Yeah. And that uh, that she thought that women were, were better at sort of, um, you know, I guess being objective about their positions. I think that's reasonably plausible. It's just too easy to get ego true. into the, it's just too easy. And particularly when you've got other things going on, like you, you're trying to be consistent, you know, consistency bias, you're trying to be, um, you know, uh, yeah, I guess consistency bias is the main one. Ego in it as well. It's very hard to back out of a position. You got to find some way just to punch out when you're wrong. You got to you got to start saying I was wrong. I, I just I just got it wrong. Yeah. What's interesting is that that is like sort of diametrically opposed to 
what would attract assets, right? Like yeah. confidence. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. I know what's about to happen. Like that is what puts the the dollars in the bank account oftentimes. Yeah. Um, which is the opposite of probably what you want once it's in the bank account. <laughs> you need the super smooth guy at the front and uh, his uh, nerdy uh, girl in the back doing the actual investing. That's the ultimate combo. Uh, I uh, I experienced this in a different way because I played old man tennis last night and there was this fucking guy there and I could feel like the alpha energy between he and I. He kept trying to like hit the ball at me and stuff and I, I, I was just like, so then I got in his head, I got like real close to the line when he would go to serve and he, he would turn his back when he went to serve so then I would like back off and it was all mental games with him and he always hit it into the net. But I was thinking like, I was like, this dude is straight up like just duding me right now. And it was very annoying. It was very like aggressive, aggressive. It wasn't even passive aggressive. And I think that, you know, if you allow that to enter the markets, you're going to get shellacked because in my opinion, the problem with trying to prove the market you're wrong is you just don't have either the time or the money to do it, you know? So I think you got to be really honest with yourself. Which it helps to have writing, right, in journals and like when do I think this is actually going to be wrong and update that stuff. Going to write that in my diary. Yeah, so imagine, I mean, isn't that what Druck was talking about? Like he wanted young guys in the in a bull market, the beginning of a bull market because it's like... <laughs> well, they got no memory. You, that's they that's have no one memory, but also maybe the, you know, they're more risk-seeking, the more they're willing to push it. And they're more optimistic about where the price can go, if with higher T levels. I mean, that's always been the that's always that's like the feature of every single bull market, isn't it? That you get the new young gunslingers who come through, who because they're fearless, they can they can chase it much much harder than all the old guys who've seen a few busts. And then they get their first bust, and they they learn something. So maybe you need high T at the bottom of a bear market and low T at the top of a in a bubble probably works i think that's fair do you have a topic bill or do you want me to then you just then you just gotta figure out when the low and the high is i don't know we're running late so we can do some uh do some cues questions yeah throw some questions in guys i mean i guess that the the comment that i would have is on the you know just on the the left tail and whatnot is I, I do think like now you're seeing so I, I do think that we somewhat removed the left tail um, in 2020 but now you're starting to see like the tax ideas get floated I mean I you know it's gonna be I don't know how much uh, long-term upside there is but I think we could get a lot sillier here it's kind of my uh, operating there's no for the last two years there's no question it can always get silly we're like yeah I always refer to the Einhorn quote that five times silly is not more silly than two times silly. They're both as silly as each other. So you, you can keep on going to just any level of silliness. I guess we're... And, and nobody really knows what's going to happen, right? At any stage, anything can happen. We could easily double or halve from here. I have no I have no idea anymore. Everything just seems totally detached from fundamentals from my perspective. So anything is possible. I was told that there's no left tail. Well, it looks that way. Well, that's... There definitely is. It's just you. I mean, you you can't. Well, but like to, I guess that the whole function of government, like if you're gonna bet on the left tail playing out, you're basically betting on society failing. So if you want to make the bet, you can. Like I, and you're probably gonna get paid like crazy when you're right. But I mean, I also think if you're the type of investor that cares about base rates, like how often does the left tail manifest itself? So I just don't understand. Like, I guess if you want to set yourself up for success, I guess just like betting on the left tail just seems insane to me. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll be the guy with nothing and you'll be the guy with not like you, but whoever will be the guy with everything. And then I can say, OK, King, tell me I was wrong. Well, there's two things, right? There's betting on the left tail, betting on it occurring. And then there's just incorporating it in your range of outcomes where, you know, a, a, a left tail is a genuine possibility. And then just. Sort yes, of, um, I agree with you. But I think that the fear of that makes people way overweight the probability of it. 
So the expected value of that actually being dealt and government failing, I think, is way overweighted in people's heads. That's probably right. True. And yes, the expected loss is huge. But that's one of the fundamental tenets of like loss aversion. Right. Is like people are so scared of losses that they they exacerbate the probability of them. And I'm saying I think that the government functioned OK. And I think that there's problems. I'm freaking glad that I came to a state that's open. I think I think I think government in general, maybe like on the state level, doesn't exactly get the passing grade that I'm saying. And I think, you know, we compounded the errors. I don't think I give us like 100 percent or anything like that, but probably a C plus B minus. I wouldn't give us an F. Florida. Oh, Florida, Florida. Florida did pretty well, I think. I know that that's going to like piss some people off to hear, but <laughs> like life has been pretty decent here. Well, let me throw let me throw a scenario. And so, the deaths per and the deaths per hundred thousand have not been like materially higher. So if if like data actually matters, uh, I think it's hard to look at what Florida did and say that they didn't. Now maybe they had embedded strengths, right? People can be outside and whatever, but they played the cards that they were dealt pretty well. But isn't that the, but that's sort of the thesis I think to what JT would say is that it's you're better off having lots of little implementations like lots of little experiments going on so you have 50 experiments going on is better than one experiment going on and then having you know every county maybe making its decisions and then maybe having each individual yeah, make their I decisions say. I move my fucking life for that thesis, right? Like I am fundamentally not like a top down guy, but I think that when the world stops and the federal government is the reason the world stops, then to not expect the federal government to lend assistance is sort of like not really matching. It's almost like an asset liability mismatch in a different way. Uh, I got a question for you. This is from Betty Swallox. That's <laughs> funny, I've written down, I guess. But Chris Bloomstrand talked about not caring about BRK share price, only performance of underlying business. Surely share price matters eventually. Otherwise, what's the point of holding the stock? So this is actually an interesting. Uh, I, I've been playing this out in my mind a little bit. Um, people are like, "Well, I don't like Bitcoin because it's an idea." And then I got to thinking, well, how, right? Like, it's just an idea, right? It's just like an idea. Well, this matters, okay? Well, what if you're trading minority interests in securities, the idea that it's just a weighing machine over time is literally just an idea, right? There is nothing to guarantee you that this cash ever comes back to you as a minority interest holder. The reason that I think that in something like, Berkshire, the underlying business matters is because you can trust the managers to do the right thing with the cash flows that you're entitled to. So if you're in some like maybe, you know, company that you don't really, this is why I think, you know, agency costs are so important because then the stock price doesn't actually matter. But if you don't trust management to do the right thing, then yeah, stock price matters a lot because you could just be stuck. And I think that, I mean, because Buffett will go out and buy shares in, right? And then eventually, maybe you just get huge dividends down the road, right? If nobody ever buys the stock. But, like, what a guy to be partnered with. I want lower for longer. Why? Because then Buffett's got his best, probably most layup deployment of capital at that point. Into Berkshire. Same with Malone, like like all these guys that are like real capital, Barry Diller, like all these guys that are really proven track records. I don't think you want the stocks to go up. Well, and I think this is a fundamental difference. Like, are you are you a business owner? In which case you want partners retired from ownership interest potentially at the right price. Or are you a, a trader who wants the price to go up? If the price isn't moving, you can always look at the fundamentals too. You can see, is the, sh- is the book value compounding away? Is the earnings and return on investment, is that sort of, is return on investment sustaining or, or growing wider? Is earnings growing? If the share price isn't responding and they're buying back stock and all of that stuff is going on under the hood, then that's, that's the absolute best of every world because you just keep on, you're going to keep on earning, you keep on buying that stock and it's all going up in value, getting a better deal every time you buy. Yeah, as long as you don't need the liquidity. 
So, well, we're talking investment capital here. Yeah. So I'm just saying, I, I think like that's sort of the risk in Berkshire is maybe your duration is slightly off from Buffett's duration. So then he's not returning capital when you need it. But that's what like that's on you to plan for. Right. Um, yeah. Um, got a super chat here. Thanks, Jonathan yes. Wallace. What do you think is the probability of a nuclear attack or equivalent event prior to 2071? Can you hedge for that? My guess is as good as yours, and probably not. I don't think you can hedge for that, no. Hmm. I mean, you could buy guns. No. You get, you, these big bad events happen every now and again, right? Every 20, 25 years, something really nasty comes along. Can you hedge for it? I don't know. But I think, that's, I think it's interesting to think that that's like one of the things that Buffett thinks about is a nuclear attack. One of the things yeah. that he's worried about is a nuclear weapon going off. Yeah, well, he would say it's inevitable over a long enough time horizon, right? But I don't know. Yeah, he's thinking about the don't things. Don't live that could... in a don't live in a big city. I guess would be one hedge. Yeah, or you could. I mean, I guess you could adopt what we're talking about, right? And you could say, well, if that were to happen, then given the facts that have played out in '09 and now, the government's probably going to spread money everywhere. So own gold, <laughs> I guess. Like, maybe that's the way you hedge. You could move to Los Angeles. It already looks like one's been detonated here. <laughs> yeah, we already went off. <laughs> already living in the rubble. <laughs> I was watching the Dread, you know, uh, Judge Dread, and they have the, they have the, like, the big wide shots of, uh, of the city, and it's like Megaopolis, like in the future, where everybody just lives in these gigantic cities. And I was like, oh, it looks like LA. <laughs> and that's the hellscape. That the, the hellscape, be. yeah. What else we got Somebody asked about the streaming, like uh, Discovery and Viacom. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. They seem a little bit rich. They were probably too cheap. We'll see. I'd rather own Netflix than Discovery at this uh, multiple. I'll tell you that. Right? They're trading at the same twenty twenty five multiples. Like, I'd... okay. We'll it, see. Isn't it twenty twenty five? Who isn't the it... hell has? Yeah. How do you know? That's it. That everybody. Well, first of all, that's what people are looking at. And second of all, second of all, you guys laugh. But if you're talking about being long term focused, like I don't see how you can say I am a time arbitrage long term investor and not think about 2025. I don't I just fundamentally think they're separate. Now, the precision of the estimate is clearly go. not right. Like, I, I don't disagree with that. But you got to at least think about this stuff unless like, you know, you don't. There's but a lot of there's a lot of growth in Netflix in, to make that happen though, right? Yeah, that's probably. I mean, whether that's whether that's going to happen or not is a sort of question for each individual person. But you know, just to throw it out there like it's a like it's a done deal. I think that's the that's what we're laughing at. Well, that's what you're doing with Discovery here too. So I mean, it's the same bet now. I mean, Discovery was was in my screen a year ago. It was cheap a year ago. I don't have any particular view on it now. Well, I, I, what I'm saying is if you're going to laugh at Netflix, I think you got to laugh at Discovery. Yeah. Because it ain't sure. cheap anymore. I assure you of that. Well, that's that's an interesting point because that's, that's been something that's like, the, it's related to my airlines example earlier. Like, for whatever reason, small, cheap, junky has just had its little, it's having a few months, it's having a moment here in the sun where it's trading like, you know, software as a service did. It's trading like tech did a year ago. Why? Yeah. Is my I don't question. Know. I mean, Discovery's market cap since twelve thirty one twenty has gone from one point four times sales to four and a half times sales. That's expensive. So you know, I don't know. What, why the run in? Why the run in? Uh, in in small cheap junk? Why why the run? People trying well, to buy anything that, they can. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff was uh, faced an existential crisis. Yeah. And if, you know, the smaller you are, the less likely you are to get your left tail chopped off by the government. The <laughs> junkier you were, the more closer you were to potential existential threat. A lot of those were levered companies, too, which, yeah. you know, that much closer to the edge. So if all of a sudden we if people can look past all that now and say, like, well, if everything's going to survive, let's buy this. So, like, I mean, I sort of make some sense to me. 
I don't think so. I think it's betting like you see everywhere else. I think so. It's just the last thing that hadn't ripped. Yeah. Hadn't, yeah. Maybe. There's there's some like there's some big Momo rebalance coming up here where they're going to be buying a whole lot of uh, finance and energy. Evidently, that's the those are the two sectors that are going in. Does so that keep it going? Priced in. Is that the idea? Well, <laughs> being added to an index seems to like that 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 keeps you going. I guess that's. I mean, I don't know. I, I anything that I thought I knew, I no longer know. I've just I've got back to zero knowledge of this market. Just completely baffled by everything that happens every day. Yeah, Curate is one I want to go down. Somebody asked if I have an update. I don't. My update is do your own work. I mean, that is the... That has been a kind of a kick in the intellectual nuts this last, really, year. It was like, if, if you had told me that you were going to have all the things that happened... You would never say the market would be up and ripping and all-time highs and retail froth and all the other, you know, all of other Grantham's boxes checked. You just never would have said that. So if if this if that wasn't enough to convince me that I have literally no idea where things are yeah. going, then I'm not sure whatever will. Yeah. It's a, uh, the it's only a thing market. I knew is you couldn't wait to see the numbers. That's the only thing I knew. I had no idea that it would be this. <laughs> but can... we had that conversation. I literally said you can't wait to see the numbers. I mean, that happened. So I that's like something that I did believe. Um, but this is there. It certainly seems as though a lot of return has been pulled pulled forward a lot. Next week is the anniversary of the bottom, so we're going to have to do a a, a special show. Gonna, you think it'll lead to a sell-off, like a lot of people, you know, taking gains? <sighs> nothing know, leads to sell-offs. There, there's nothing leads to a sell-off <laughs> in this market. I don't know, man. There's I don't understand lot, those words. A <laughs> lot of things flip into capital gains, and now you're looking at tax increases. I don't know. I could see it little race to the exit of some see what you're doing is you're applying logic and logic doesn't work in this market what's probably going to lead to is a gigantic ramp (laughs) it's we're in costanza mode huh so that's that's my prediction uh gigantic ramp over the next 12 months i just want this market to show me that i'm wrong (laughs) prove me wrong all right, amigos. Oh, I think that that's uh, that's full time. Uh, I can hear the whistle blowing. We're in injury time at the moment, so uh, uh, until next week, which will be the anniversary, it'll be a fun one. Peace. Thank you all. Yeah.